We're going to be in the book of Romans. It's the sixth book. Yes, the sixth book in the New Testament. So if you turn to Romans, we'll be in chapter 15. We're going to look at the first seven verses of that chapter. And then we'll be looking around um, in other places in Romans and in Corinthians and in Philippians. So we'll be jumping around a little bit. But I'm sure it's nothing that we can't handle. All right, let's uh, open with reading this passage. Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of Scripture we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Encouragement. I would submit an argument that I think is biblically founded, I hope so, that all Christians should be extraordinary, extraordinary, if you're British, extraordinary, at encouragement. It should be a defining characteristics. If you were to take a poll of society, who's the most encouraging people you know? The top of the list should be Christians, especially within the body. To get us off off on the right foot, I want to do a little bit of talking about gifting, just very, very briefly. Because encouragement is one of those things we call spiritual gifts. Um, This appears in Romans 12. And I think we have a tendency to, whenever we're talking about spiritual gifts, is to think that we have the market cornered on a specific one, right? So I, I have the gift of whatever, fill in the blank. I don't think this is how spiritual gifts, in fact, work. I don't think the readings, either in 1 Corinthians 12 or in Romans 12, lead us to interpret those passages when Paul's saying the Spirit gives these gifts, that that means, and you only get this gift. In fact, they come from the Spirit, right? Well, if you're a Christian, you have access to the same Spirit that every other Christian does. And guess who gives the gifts? The Spirit, right? They come from the Spirit. That's what they call spiritual gifts. So I just want to lay that out because I think there's a tendency for us to say, that's my gift. I would say that we should seek all of the gifts, that every Christian has equal access to the Spirit and therefore capable of showing all the gifts. Now, some of us have other talents, other abilities that maybe help facilitate certain gifts. Maybe some of us are well-spoken, so maybe the gift of teaching channels through that in a useful way. But that doesn't mean that every Christian cannot teach. In fact, as we really stress here, discipleship, every Christian discipling, involved in discipling with other Christians, guess what's involved in that? Teaching. 
So it's available to all of us. And the second thing, I want to talk about the purpose of spiritual gifts. And that simply stated, it's for the body. It's not for ourselves. It's not for me. It's not, it's not for you individually. When God has gifted you and you are to share that gift, the only use for that gift is for the building up of the church. So I just want to keep those two things in the back of our mind before we dive in. So now let's dive in. I want to make three main points about this passage of Scripture. The first point is kind of a groundwork point. I want us to think of some things before we look really specifically at the verses themselves. This first point is the great enemy of encouragement. What is the, what is the obstacle that gets in our way to show encouragement? Now, there's probably several, but in my mind, the one that jumps out, and I think in the context of Romans 12 through 15, one of the things that Paul calls out, and in, in this, this passage of Scripture and in others, is selfish pride. And that makes sense, right? You can't be thinking of others if you're thinking about yourself, right? It's just, I mean, that's good old-fashioned logic. Selfishness is anathema to Christ. I think that statement is, isn't an overstatement. It's repulsive to him. And it's also poison to the church. Now, some types of selfishness are obvious. They're easy to spot, right? Um, especially in our culture. We think of an athlete or a movie star, somebody who is put on a pedestal in front of people. It's very, I, I can't blame them too much because I, you know, what do you expect? Everybody's worshiping you. Of course you're going to be prideful. But I've always found there's this weird colloquialism we have in our society, and it goes something like this. It's not bragging if you can back it up. I've never understood that. I don't think any working definition of arrogance or pride that any of us have is contingent upon whether they can actually do the thing they're claiming to do. Right? What, what ticks us off, what gets us upset with people, is when they're forcing their awesomeness upon you and they're belittling you. I think that's the working definition of arrogance and pride. To me, if you're talking a big talk and you can't back it up, you're just a liar. Or you're self-deceived, or you have delusions of grandeur. You know, one of those things. I don't know. But there are other forms of selfishness that are more covert, that are harder to spot. One of the places I think this occurs, one of the places I think this occurs, is in our acts of kindness or altruism. When we're trying to do good things. I think we have example after example of Jesus confronting that in the religious leaders of the day, using good things, right, to puff themselves up. And I think the same thing can happen to anybody. So let's look at uh, verse 1. And right off the bat, I think this verse can be problematic if we're not reading it carefully. Verse 1 says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. You know, if we're not careful, we can 
<laughs> feel pretty good about ourselves. Like, I'm the strong one. I'm, I have been doing this for a while. I have the gift of discernment. <laughs> so, I will bear with the scrawny, weak ones, right? Spiritually speaking. Not, not physically, obviously. Um, so, I, th- I think that we can even fall into this trap, even with this first verse. But I don't think Paul intends for us to make some sort of hierarchy of like spiritual, I don't know, just this guy's way up here and everybody else is down there. I think what Paul's, Paul's actually giving a very practical application. And we'll look at the context of this and see that it's actually very applicable to us today even. I think the word weak could be translated or could be understood, maybe not translated, but could be applied to meaning simply new or immature. And not immature like a bunch of guys running around telling potty jokes, but immature as in you are new. You're a new believer. You haven't been doing this very long. And so who would be the strong one? Well, you'd assume that it'd be the person who's been doing it a while, has been following Christ and reading his word for a while and understands some things. Another thing to keep in mind is some days you may be the strong one and some days you may be the weak one. And so, when we're considering how to bear with one another, how to encourage each other, wouldn't it be nice if we were not lording our strength, the times that we're strong, the times where we have it all together with quotations, and forcing that on people in unkind or ways that aren't gentle. Because there's going to be a time when we, we, we need to rely on somebody else, when someone else is going to need to be strong for us. Now, let's look... Um, and the context of this passage. The church in Rome, like other churches that Paul was writing to, but the church in Rome was a combination of Gentile and Jewish believers, and that had unique problems. One of the things that Paul addresses both in 1 Corinthians and in Romans is this idea of Jews who are recent converts to following Christ who are having a hard time coming to terms with the traditions or the laws that they were following as Jews. I think sometimes we don't really understand how huge this transition would have been for them. And it's interesting that in certain, certain circumstances, Paul really calls these people out. In others, he seems to have quite a bit of understanding. And I think with those he has understanding with, it's because they're not doing anything sinful. They're just simply trying to make sense of things. Notice that if you go back and you read uh, verse, uh, chapters 12 through 15 in Romans, Paul talks about gifts. And in chapter 14, he talks about not judging others. And he says, if someone comes into your congregation who has a hard time with you eating pork, 
then don't eat pork. Now, Stephen talked about this last week. So I won't go into a lot of detail about that because he covered it. But the idea is they're not sinning. They're just having a hard time processing this new freedom in Christ. Paul actually opens up verse 14 by saying, as for those or as for the one who was weak in faith, same word, weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. Not points of doctrine, right? Opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while a weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let the one who abstains, or let, the one, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So I think there's a lesson for us in here. When Paul's talking about the weak person, I really do think it's the immature. It's the new Christian. But just because they're immature and new doesn't mean that they're doing something sinful. We're like, how could you do that? That's so, like, I mean, that's just, how, how are you not mature enough to see that? That should not be our response. Um, I think we can learn quite a bit from this passage in our own church. We have, and in any church, we have people from different traditions, even in this church. Some of us are dyed-in-the-wool Baptist and have been Baptist. Others of us maybe come from more conservative backgrounds. Others, maybe more charismatic backgrounds. None of those things, as long as they're not heretical or defame God's character or change the gospel, are worth coming down hard on is to discourage someone. Now, I teach at a couple of colleges guitar. And I have a lot of beginners. That's the beginning of guitar class. I think a good analogy of this would be as if, would be to relate to you this. What if I had a new guitar student who'd been playing for five seconds I just showed him how to hold the stupid thing, okay? Which is a feat. That guitar can be hard to hold. It's super slippery. And let's say I play something that I've been working on for years. I have a master's degree in performance, and I have years of practice and lots of instruction. And I play this for this person, and they get discouraged. Because I'm like, oh, you, well, you can't do that? Well, of course they can do this, but play for five seconds. Isn't that stupid? Yes, and it's not just stupid, it's kind of blech. You're like, ew, gross. Why would you do that? What's wrong with you? What's, what's wrong with a person that needs that kind of encouragement from, from somebody? We can do the same thing with more immature believers. It's the same thing. If what we want from that interaction, that transaction with a new believer is for them to look at us as the great spiritual guru. And our concern isn't for their good. Then you're doing the same thing as an idiotic guitar teacher who's trying to show off for a guy who's played for five seconds. I'm the teacher. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to teach him to play guitar. The fact that I have credentials 
should be a foregone conclusion. I work for the school. Right? I think the point is that when we encourage, it's about anybody else but us. Anybody else. The only person it cannot be about, there's one caveat to that statement. The only person it cannot be about when you're encouraging is yourself. Look at these verses. Look at these statements in these verses. Verse 1 through 3. Verse 1, he says, um, As for the one who is weak, welcome him, but do not to quarrel over opinions. I'm sorry. That was, that was in chapter 14. Chapter 15. Um, um, he was strong, has an obligation to bear with the feelings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Okay? Not to please ourselves. Verse 2 ends with to build him up. What do you do with your neighbor? You're trying to please your neighbor. You're trying to do what is not people-pleasing, but you're trying to serve your neighbor. Why? To build him up. That's the purpose of it. And then he makes this emphatic statement. He just says, for Christ did not please himself. That's what Christ did. Now, it's easy to simply nod at this, and we should. We should say, yeah, okay, encouragement, we get it. It's not about you. But as I said, covert pride is often very tricky to detect. God went through this sort of thought experiment with me over the last few years where he started asking me questions or putting me in situations where I had to ask questions about my own pride. You better believe, after two music degrees, that I have a fair amount of it. And I've had to work through that. Two questions I think we can ask ourselves, or one question and then kind of a, just a follow-up to that, of a building on, that you can ask yourself when you're dealing with people in the church. And that is, do we recognize the talents and gifts of others with joy? Are we happy about it? Yeah, sure. As long as they're serving the church, good by me. Okay, all right, hold on, hold on. Are we grateful for others' ability and gifting even when we feel overshadowed? Or to put it another way, when they have the gift that we think we have? Right? It's one thing for me to say, oh, so-and-so has such a gift of prophecy. I don't care. I don't have that gift. At least I don't think I do. Doesn't mean I shouldn't pursue it, like I said earlier. I'm not saying that I don't have that gift or that I can't have that gift if I don't ask God. But maybe this is something I don't care about that much. No, that person is really good at teaching. That's great. Well, what if all of a sudden, what if I consider myself, what if I think my gifting is a teacher, is as a teacher? And what if... In my Sunday school class, maybe I co-teach. I don't know. What if there's this new fangled person who comes in on fire for God and they really have a gift for teaching and they start helping me teach my class and I see the class responding in a certain way. Like, oh, wow, they really seem to respond to him. Anybody who says that there is not a prick within them that starts to be jealous... I'm going I'm to I'm dial it back a little bit. 
And I'm going to say, for me personally, I'm just going to confess that there's a prick of pride that happens. If we're not careful, I think we become the spiritual equivalent of mean girls. If you, know what a mean girl, if you don't know what a mean girl is, it's a high school girl who's super popular and has a following, like, like the, the, the cheerleader. And as soon as that popular cheerleader finds a girl who might be as pretty as she is and might attract the attention of the high school quarterback, she's going to do everything she can to destroy that person. And we can do the exact same thing. It's like, yeah, I'll encourage anybody else as long as they don't step on my gifting. As long as they don't overshadow what I can do. This was, this was not a fun lesson to me when I learned it. Um, and I'm still learning it. But I think we need to know that encouragement is singularly about others. And that's even true in our speech. One of my, one of my memory verses I have several memory verses about my speech because I suffer from an ailment known as uh, knee-in-mouth disease. Swallow the foot, calf, everything, all the way up to the knee. One of my verses is Ephesians 4, 29. And this is such an interesting verse because it starts out with a negative, which you would expect. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. All right, that sounds about like a speech verse that's good for convicting me. Right on, I'm just going to repeat that. Well, Paul does it in there. The rest of it are positives. They're challenges for you to do. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Even our speech should be about others. So our words should be genuine and they should be really directed towards the needs of others. We shouldn't be fishing for compliments. We should as best as we can try to get away from our insecurities and not let that influence how we deal with people. Because Christ did it. Now, if Christ is our example, as it says in verse 3, when Paul makes that emphatic statement, Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Then we should seek to do the same thing. One of my favorite passages, and I think it's interesting, our church has actually been doing this in different places, um, but I think... uh, the women, there's a women's Bible study right now going through Philippians. I don't know if they're still going through it. You guys are? Yeah. Um, chapter 2, very poignant passage in light of this. Do nothing from rivalry. This is starting in verse 3, chapter 2 of Philippians. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6. This is where, this is, this is the standard. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So if Jesus, who has all ability, all of it, and it's all max, right? He's the greatest fill in the blank, (laughs) whatever it is. If he can humble himself, then we should too. It's not an easy thing. But guess what we have empowering us to do it? The Holy Spirit. One last thing before we go on to the next point. Um, When we're seeking to encourage each other and considering Christ's examples, think about the times where he was with his disciples. Two in particular come to mind. One, when Peter proclaims him as the Christ, and right after that says, you're not, you can't go to the cross. What are you, you're crazy. And then, when Jesus is in Gethsemane, knowing what he's facing, what does he want his disciples to do? Very simple thing, right? Simply be there with him. And they can't do that. When we fail to encourage, when we don't meet each other's expectations, I guarantee you, nothing that I have done or anything you've done to me comes close to the failure of Jesus' closest friends not to be there for him when he's about to go through the worst thing that anybody has ever or will ever go through. And yet, what what is his attitude towards these disciples? He still loves them. Doesn't make them enemies. He doesn't say, you're going to that church, I can't go there. Right? The biggest tragedies is when churches can't get over our own slights and offenses. Especially considering everything that Christ has had to get over. Now, if you look at verse 4, encouragement is also a primary function of Scripture. I oftentimes when I think about the purposes of God's words, God's word, one of the things I don't often think about is that it's meant to encourage. But verse 4 says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures we might have hope. So scripture should be encouraging. Now, I've been asking myself this question, what does it mean that if Christ gave of himself and encouraged others, and one of the purposes of Scripture is to encourage. If, what does it mean if I can't be bothered, for whatever reason, to be encouraging? I don't know. There's a lot to unpack there. I'm not going to do it. I just know it's not good. I know there's a problem, and I know I need to submit it to God. But I do know why it's difficult. It's difficult because we have to give up ourselves. And we don't get recognized. This is kind of interesting about the gift of encouragement. And perhaps this is why no one wants this gift. I have never talked to anybody who self-proclaims, I have the gift of encouragement. Right? And I've t- now, I'm not saying this never happened. 
But I've talked to others. And have you ever had someone come up to you and say, I think my gift is encouragement? Maybe. I've never encountered somebody. You know what I do hear a lot? I hear like the more showy gifts, like discernment. You know, I think I have a gift of discernment. The irony there, I'm not even going to go into. I'm sure you guys can figure that out for yourself. But the really funny thing about it is that it's also the gift that I always hear people giving to other people. The gift of encouragement for you, for you, for you. You have it, you have it, you have it, you have it. What about you? Nah, nah, I don't want it. The funny thing is, is that it is so extremely necessary to the church to be encouraging. So why? Point three, what does encouragement do for the church? Well, verse five and six are two beautiful verses. Verse five says, creates harmony with one another. And verse six, that altogether you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it creates harmony within the family of worship together. So I want to sort of round out with two questions before I conclude. The first is, to get us thinking about receiving and giving encouragement, have you ever found it hard to worship because of the discouragement of another member? Not because you have insecurities like, oh, this person didn't talk to me enough or didn't smile at me quite like I like. Not because of our insecurities. We all have them. Let's just admit it. And not because of conviction of sin, but because someone genuinely discouraged you. You were in need. You needed to hear something. And they weren't so much interested in your need as somehow putting themselves onto a pedestal. I know it's happened to me, and I know that I've also been the offender as well. On the other side of that, have you ever found worship richer because you received the encouragement you needed? I'm happy to say that I've encountered that a lot in this church. And I want to thank everybody for that. What if one of our primary attributes, one of the things we were known for, one of the stereotypes of all Christians was that we outdid one another in showing honor. That's what Paul says in Romans 12.10. What if instead of sort of being sometimes passive-aggressive or being defensive, wondering if someone's going to step on an insecurity or on something that we consider our gifting, what if instead of defending ourselves from that stuff and putting our energy into that, we were actively seeking to say, Danny, what do you need? Mark, Cindy, what do you need? Anticipating, waiting to see the needs of others. What if that's where our energy was? Again, I'm happy to say I've seen that in this very church. I've been the recipient of it. And I thank you. We just had a boy. We need lots of encouragement, and we've got it. We've gotten it. So thank you. Verse 7 gives a command. 
Paul says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So perhaps to help us, as I hope we're thinking about how can we encourage people, is just to ask this simple question. How has Christ welcomed us? And if we see that, then we apply that to how we welcome others. Now that list is so long, I couldn't, I couldn't make it, so I just listed some, a few of them. But how has Christ welcomed me? Well, he's welcomed me with no strings attached. I don't have to get my life together. I don't have to be mildly less annoying. I don't have to, you know, talk less. You know, I'll, I'll hang out with you if, you if you just learn not to talk so much. He's welcomed me with no strings attached, with utter selfless love, with humility. And what's really become profound to me is with faithful commitment. It's one thing to do all these things, to devote ourselves to encouragement, to say no strings attached, to have selfish love, to, be, to try to be humble in a moment. It's another thing to do that day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out. Church family, that's what makes the body of Christ so beautiful, is that we commit to each other to doing that. So I would say, I would like to commit myself to encouraging you. I'm not here for my own ends. I don't want to be here for my own ends. That's not my goal. But I want to serve God by serving you. That I've been called to do. It's what every minister is called to do. You meet a minister who says, I'm called to preach the word without serving the body, they've missed half of it. I hope that we will all commit to this and when we fall short of our endeavor that we'll forgive as Christ does so that we can say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start fresh tomorrow and I'm going to be an encouragement to you. Now again, I was... I was kind of, I was, I was like preparing for this and I have a tendency to just sound very, you know, blah, <laughs> like that. And I hope that this was encouraging. Amen. It's been convicting to me, but it's also been an encouragement to me. It's only not encouraging if we realize, if we think that the mistakes we've made are bigger than the redemption that Christ has. We can start new. We can start right now committing ourselves to encourage each other, fresh. So I hope that's encouraging.